This outline has two sides. One is the timeline of prophecy that we put on the screen. It wasn't real clear, so we refined it a bit and published it for you. And then the outline that is on the other side, I know we will not cover today. Probably half of this, we'll just trust the Holy Spirit to speak whatever he would choose for us in this service this morning. We've been sharing from Matthew chapter 24 and the ministry of Jesus to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Just hours before Calvary, his final words of instruction and teaching to them and to us. Let me just speak a word of review to those of you who were here two weeks ago. We talked to you about the tribulation. What is it? When does it start? How long will it last? When will it end? Those are the questions that we asked and answered together. I think this little chart on the back helps to place us to give us some direction as to what we should be about and the information that would assist us in our day-to-day -day life. If you're looking at that chart, if you would please, an overview of major future events. Starting from the left-hand side, there is a title Church Age, which began on the day of Pentecost after Calvary and the ascension of Jesus, the empowerment and endowment for those 120 disciples as the church began continues throughout the church age until what we anticipate momentarily at any moment is the return to receive his bride for himself. He is coming for us. We know this and identify this as the rapture of the church or the great catching away that dead in Christ will raise from their grave and we which are alive and remain caught up together to meet the Lord in the air so shall we ever be with the Lord so we identify what I believe the Bible calls our blessed hope and we're also looking at the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ this is an exciting anticipation for anyone who is engaged to be married. The one thing that dominates their thinking day and night, especially as that day and date approaches, is the wedding. And this is part of what we will see together. In this little block, seven-year tribulation, we've been talking about what great things, terrible and and devastating things that will take place during those seven years of time. Last Sunday morning, we cut that week right in half. And in the middle of that seven-week period, talked about something that would take place called the abomination of desolations. That place in Jerusalem, in the temple, where the Antichrist will finally reveal himself to be who he is by placing an idol there in the temple to be worshipped as God. And that extreme idolatry is an abomination which causes desolation. So we've, we've examined somewhat what takes place on earth during that 
seven-week period of time. For today and next week, Lord willing, I'd like for us to look up and consider what will be taking place in heaven during that same time period. What we have seen on earth, but I think as believers who are anticipating the great catching away or the rapture of the church, that's where we will be. I don't plan to be here on this earth while the tribulation takes place. I plan to be in that place he has prepared for me. He has come to receive me for himself. So I'm more interested and more excited about what is taking place in heaven during that seven-year period than I am about what will be taking place on earth. That information is valuable, but we're going to examine this Sunday and next what will take place in heaven for those who know him, love him, serve him, and are prepared to, to go with him when he comes back. What will be taking place? What will we be doing once we are there? Some people think we will just be uh, given a halo and issued a harp and uh, a cloud. And uh, we can just kind of strum that harp and, harp and float through eternity. Well, I don't find scripture for that. I don't think that's exactly what's going to take place. But we will look today at two events the Bible talks about that we will be involved in as, as the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ caught away to be with him uh, during uh, this same time period. And then we'll return with him back to the earth to be part of his kingdom and reign with him for that thousand years. Two things. But first of all, I just want to establish a mindset today. And in preparation for next Sunday, I, I want us to be a bit excited about the wedding. I have had the privilege many, many times standing on this platform and uh, celebrating the wedding together of, of a bride and groom. It is a beautiful and it is an exciting and an emotional time. Not just for that particular event, but... Uh, for the marriage that is to follow, not just the wedding, there's a lot of detail and excitement and beauty and pageantry that takes place that particular day and date. But from that moment on, they are made one and begin a lifetime together. And I want us to see ourselves as the scripture pre uh, prepares us as a bride adorned for her husband. We have been uh, engaged to the Lord. And, and I want you to kind of look at the, the outline right at the very top, 2 Corinthians 11:2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Ephesians 5:27 says that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that we should be holy and without blemish so truly we need to be passionate about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and I have to ask you to evaluate your own relationship with him your love relationship this morning and say in your heart yes or no I am so excited about that day. I am so passionate about the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can become so instructed and educated and intelligent about things of, of the Lord and things in Scripture, and that's wonderful. But it is no and loving Him and in personal relationship with Him and passionate about Him because we are going to be united with Him forever and forever. We are the bride of Christ and we are being prepared by the Spirit of God for our wedding day. And garments made white and ready for that particular occasion when we are united together with the Lord. Are you in love with Jesus this morning? Does your lifestyle reflect that attitude and that anticipation? Do you love to be with him? Do you long to be with him and to hear from him, talk to him, have him talk to you, set hold hands with him and just be in his presence? Do you love him this morning? Are you passionate about the person of Jesus? You see, prophecy is not about an event that's going to happen. It's about a person who's returning. And we're waiting for him to come in love with the Lord today. Oh, how I love him, the songwriter says. How I adore him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all. The great creator has been my savior. And all God's fullness dwelleth in him. Oh, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet sound. In your ear. You know, I think we can become so involved with the activities of church that we don't really live the relationship of love. And I tell you what, there's nothing greater than being in love. That was a weak amen. Thank you, Sue. Well, I, I just thought that was a good place for a strong, healthy, everybody agreed and said? Yeah. Physiologists will tell you that uh, when you're in love, your heart beats faster. And it creates more oxygen in your blood. And it is reflected in your countenance. And your eyes dilate. And you see more clearly. And they're more bright. There's something happens, not just emotionally, but physically when you're in love. Other people will see the glow. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have, that you're in love with the Lord. Looking forward to the wedding day. Jesus coming back in love with him, in love with the Lord. Before that wedding celebration there will be a time of reward I'll talk about that for a little bit this morning Lord willing with communion we will talk about the reception next Sunday morning but there will be a time of reward 2 Corinthians 5.10 for you must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may have, may receive what is due him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad.
1 Corinthians 3.13, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of every man's work. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light and be revealed with fire. It will test the quality of every man's work. If he has is built survives, he will receive a reward. There is nothing more practical that I could say to you this morning in the present experience of our Christian life than to have you look and consider eternity. I remember a preacher while I was growing up visited our church a number of times. Some of you might remember him. How many recognize the name H.B. Kelchner? Some of you, maybe not. He had one message. He preached one message for 40 years. He had a large banner that stretched across the front of the church and with a letter, living your life now in the light of eternity. And he would come to the church and preach every night of the week for two weeks, two hours a night, just that sermon. He would take a break in the middle, but he had one truth. And he said, the one thing we need on a daily basis is a look into eternity and live our lives in the light of eternity because that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And the truth that we have before us in this particular message this morning will have altogether very practical ramifications of lifestyle that helps us. So I would pray, and I have prayed that the Holy Spirit give us ears to hear what he would say to us this morning in this regard, because it will, it will in eternity be for us an exciting day. You've been watching the Olympics in Salt Lake, these Winter Olympics will probably be, remem be remembered by what? The judging. <laughs> the judging. Subjective judging. And the Russians were upset because their figure skating pairs received the gold medal. And the Canadians thought their figure skating pair was better and so the Olympic Committee conferred and gave a second gold medal to the Canadian couple and so when the singles figure skating took place and Susan Hughes won they complained that they felt their skater did equally as well and were demanding a second gold medal for her they complained that the hockey referees were unfair and partial the Koreans said they felt it was wrong that their speed skater was disqualified. He crossed the finish line first, and so he should have received the gold medal instead of being disqualified. The Russians said that their cross-country skier uh, who failed a blood test should not have been disqualified. And so there was so much dissension because of the judging, subjective judging. I want you to know that this passage of Scripture makes it very clear to us. I want you to note this one. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness 
and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And that time each will receive his praise from God. There's some significant statements made here. It gives us some insight into a perfect judgment. God who will have all the information inside us and outside of us. We need to appreciate this morning that our love relationship with God is not performance-based. I cannot say this too forcefully or too often. He does not love us if. He does not love us when or because. He loves us period, unconditionally, eternally. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you unconditionally. Our relationship of love with God is an unconditional, he is without partiality, he is, he is no respecter of persons. That relationship is not based on performance, and our judgment when we stand before God will not be concerning our salvation or our sin. Those things were judged in Jesus on the cross. And it makes me more grateful than ever this morning for the cross of Jesus. That nothing I have done, sin was judged in Jesus. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sin is not what the judgment is about, but our service. And our service will be judged on performance. Our relationship is not performance-based, but the judgment that I'm talking about, after the rapture of the church and we are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, the first thing that will take place is the judgment seat of Christ, and it is a judgment of our performance. It will be a totally impartial and completely perfect judgment it will not be subjective but it will be it will be a the judge of all the earth will do right because he knows not only what we have done he knows why we did it and how we did it because this passage says it will expose the motives of men's hearts and at that time each will receive his praise from god it will be totally and completely. The IRS said that they, they estimate that 40 out of every 1,000 returns that come in will be audited. But in reality, they say about 24 out of 1,000 get audited. But for us, in the judgment we're talking about, 1,000 out of 1,000 will be audited. So that all of us, every one of us, must give an account of himself to the Lord. There's no way to escape or to avoid that particular judgment that will take place. All of us will stand individually before the Lord. Performance based. Our service for God will be judged on performance. We will receive reward according to what we have done. What if we're all just going to go up? When the rapture takes place, the dead are going to be raised, and all of us are going to be with the Lord. You know, what, what difference does it make how we live our lives until that time? I just make it in. I'll be satisfied. Some people say, if I just, just make it in by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin, chin, I'll be satisfied. 
There's a little song that says, just build me a cabin in the corner of glory. And the attitude is, just, just, let me, just let me get in. Just let me not be left behind. I'll be happy. But you know what? I don't think that'll be the case because when we stand before Jesus, can you envision with that philosophy of life standing before the Lord and having been careless? There are different kinds of Christians, you see. There are different kinds. There are faithful Christians and unfaithful Christians. There are spiritual Christians and there are carnal Christians. There are a lot of different kinds of Christians. We will be judged according to our performance. Matthew 25, 21, the master said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. And I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 26, he said, You wicked and lazy servant. So there are, there are different kinds of servants. And so just making it in is not enough. He says that there are spiritual and carnal. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as underworldly and mere infants in Christ. There are diligent Christians, careful Christians, and unwise. Ephesians 5, 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There are different kinds of Christians, and when we stand before him, it will reveal even the motives, not just what we have done, but why we've done it. You know, I, I've found that it's very hard, very hard to identify our own motives. Why, why we do what we do. And I just want to maybe read 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. It has to do with this particular part of our future, unavoidable as it is. And I want you to be aware of this event and be as prepared for it as you possibly can be. So this is my responsibility and my objective today. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man hath builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire shall test the quality of each man's work. And if that man's work survives, he will receive reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Not dealing with our salvation, but with our service. And not just with the amount of our service, but with the motivation of our service. There are some things that are going to, to receive approval, some things that are valuable, permanent, beautiful, and hard to come by and require sacrifice. There are other things that are described that are temporary, cheap, and easy to get, requiring no effort or sacrifice. 
And the Lord, knowing the motivation of our heart, it is not the amount of work we have done for him, but the motivation of the work that we have accomplished for him. And the fire shall test what the nature of that ministry has been. Some will just simply be consumed and left in ashes. That which is valuable and permanent and hard to come by, achieved by sacrifice, will endure the fire and will remain as the reward we receive. Every man will receive according to what he has done. It's hard to assess. It's hard to know. I, I've asked myself more than minutes this week to say, Lord, why do I preach? Why do I do what I do? Is it? Is it? Is it for any other motive than for you? Why do I sing? Why do I give? Why do I pray? Why do I, why do, I do what I do? And I just ask you to do the same thing in your own mind and heart and say, you know, why do I do this? Why do I give? Government gives credit for income tax. Would you do it if he didn't? If they passed the law this year that you wouldn't get credit for your giving, would you still get, would you still tithe? Why do you do what you do? Do I, do I preach for my, for my own satisfaction or do I, I've had to evaluate, I had to ask myself, why do I do what I do? Is it for him? Or is there, is there in some way would I do it if, if no one liked it? Would I still be as faithful to declare the word of God if no one wanted to hear it? By preaching this sermon this morning, say, God, I've got to do it because if I don't, one of these days I'm going to stand before you and you're going to ask me why I didn't. Why I didn't share the whole counsel of God. Why I didn't teach the whole truth. Why... Why I, I do what I do, I do this for you. And I'm just sharing my heart with you this morning and encouraging you to do the same. Can you evaluate? Are you honest enough with your own heart that you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's any other ulterior motive except for His glory? Because otherwise, it's just going to go up in smoke. If we're going to go through the effort, let's make it last. Let's do it for him, for his honor, for his glory. And if I'm doing it for him, if he's pleased, it doesn't matter if anybody else is pleased. If I'm doing it for him, it doesn't matter if anybody else approves. I want to do it because it's the right thing to do. And, for, and, and doing it as unto the Lord so that the effort and energy of my service when it is judged in eternity and tested with the fire will endure the fire like Lot who, who got careless in his life and moved his family towards Sodom. God graciously spared him from the wrath and judgment of Sodom but he lost every possession that he had. He was saved, but as one 
snatched from the fire. We will be saved, but without reward. The first thing that's going to take place in heaven while we're there is that we will be called upon to stand before the Lord and give an account. And I like the phrase, shall receive, each shall receive his praise from God. He shall receive a reward. Vision that's in my mind, if you've been watching the Olympics, you didn't have to watch the event because they kept running this same picture throughout whenever the, the Olympics report would take place. Did any of you see Susan Hughes, the moment it dawned on her that she was the gold medal winner in, the, in that figure skating? Anybody see that? Did you see that? Do you, do you get that image in your mind? I mean, she collapsed to the floor and her coach beside her and her face, she just utter ecstatic joy that she, representing her country, would have them slip that gold medal over her neck. And the absolute joy. I saw it in the hockey team. I, I saw it in the, in the skaters. I saw it in the bobsledder. Well, they won their hands with the air. Their eyes were blazing. Their smile was ecstatic. The joy, the joy of the reward. They had been judged on their performance. Let me hasten to say, we're not in competition with each other. We're in cooperation with each other. So we're not competing. We are assisting each other in whatever event we happen to be involved with. We're not, we're not competitors. We are part of a team, Team Jesus. Forget, forget that, we're in deep trouble. We're back in Corinthians again. We're not in competition. We are in cooperation. But that does not say that our performance is insignificant or unimportant. It is because we will be judged by performance. But can you imagine, can you imagine standing before the Lord and hearing him say to you as he slips the gold medal, your reward, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Whew. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to act. But if Susan Hughes acted with ecstatic joy when she knew she had won representing her country. Oh, I don't know how you're going to respond when your reward is given by the hand of Jesus, the Lord, the creator of all the universe, and hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy prepared for you by our God. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth how many every hours a day to practice and perfect the energy, the effort necessary to gain gold. 
gain gold, silver, precious stones. You have been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. I don't know of a greater favor I could do for you this morning than to tell you to live your life in the light of eternity. I don't know of a greater favor I could do for you this morning than to let you know that very soon, in fact, before next week, you might be standing before him. Someone in this room, we may have memorial service for before next Sunday, and you will be ushered from time into eternity. You will make the transition from this life to that life, and you will immediately be standing before him. For every man must give an account, and oh, I want that to be the happiest day of your life the happiest day of your life. Go for the gold. You know, it costs you points when you fall. Susan Kwan knows that. It costs you points when you fall. All the skaters start out with a six. Every skater state starts out with the same number. They start out with a six, and they deduct points when they fall. It gives a whole new understanding to Jude's statement, unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. That's the verse. Tuck it in your heart. He's able to keep you from falling. You'll lose points when you fall because if you're living for his glory and you fall, something happens to it. His name is connected with our behavior, with our performance. I pray often, if not daily, Lord, Help me with my mind, with my motives, and with my mouth. Because those are the three areas you have the most trouble with. Lord, help me with my mind, with my heart, with my motives, and with my mouth. Because that's what the judgment will be all about, or much of it at least. Our tongue, our treasures, our time, how those are managed and invested. Matthew chapter 12. But I tell you, these are red letters, Jesus is speaking. I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So in a very practical way. Lord, help me to manage my mouth. Why? Because when I stand before him, that's one of the things he's going to deal with. And so Jesus is the authority to say, I tell you the truth, that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word spoken. Your words will acquit you. Your words will condemn you. Lord, 
Help me to do what I do for the right reason. Lord, help my motives to be right. Help my motives to be for your glory, for your honor. Help my mouth, Lord. James said, if you don't offend in, your, in, in word, you're a perfect man. The tongue is the most unruly member, hard to tame. We need the Holy Spirit to give control to our speech with grace seasoned with salt because evidently he's keeping a book. He's keeping a record. And we'll have to give an account of what we say. Help me, Lord, today. Help me today. Father, I pray that something of these principles will be absorbed into our spirit today that'll help us, that'll help us to be prepared for that appointment that each of us have. For it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And Lord, heaven is, is more than just going there where there's a harp and a crown and where there's a cloud, where there's just ecstatic happiness, we're going to have to stand in a place and be judged on performance. Lord, I pray that it will be a day of thrilling, receiving of reward, where we'll hear the commander himself, our, our beloved bridegroom, say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Every man will receive what his due reward is. Lord, I pray for all of us that you will help us manage our mind, our motives, and our mouth. All 